0: I preached uh, or taught, we've ta- been talking with the teenagers through Baptist distinctives and spoke about this uh, a few weeks ago. But I'll be honest with you, sometimes you preach a message and after you're done with it, you're like, man, I didn't get nearly what I needed to there. And so you go back, I, at least I do. I, I always. Every time I preach, I think, man, I'm an idiot. You know, I miss so many things there. I got done Sunday morning with the message and realized that I had forgot the whole introduction and missed half of the, the points in the middle. You know, I mean, just we could have been here till one o'clock, you know, and so. I guess it's a good thing we didn't go through all that, but uh, but uh, we've been talking about Baptist distinctives, all right, what makes us as a Baptist, uh-oh, uh-oh, testing one, two, testing one, two, are you back there, but could you push space bar for me or, or at least get it onto the, you probably have to get the, uh, um, uh, what you call it, the cursor back over on there so that I can control it, if you could push space bar on the, on the thing, there we go, let me see. Oh, look at that right there. All right, we won't. Baptist distinctives. See what you know about them. Bible as the sole authority. What does that mean? Sola Scriptura. Okay, it's the only thing we need. Anybody know what the A stands for? Autonomy of the local church? What is that? These are distinct to all Baptist churches or should be. If you don't fit these, you're not a Baptist church. What does autonomy mean? Stand alone, self-rule, okay? Auto-namas. Namas is Greek for law, and so it's self-law, okay? P, priesthood of the believer. That's where we're going to park tonight. What is priesthood of the believer? What does it allow us to do? We, we, we have the opportunity to go directly to God. T, two ordinances, what are they? Lord. Baptism in the Lord's Supper, all right? I, individual soul liberty. What, tell me something good and something bad about individual soul liberty. We can sit where we want, all right, unless it's first Baptist Church of Matoka and Pastor Taylor is here, all right, and then hey, but I, I just want you to know you can you can think about sitting. I left all the lights on so you could think about sitting other places, all right besides, I let you go wherever you wanted to when you prayed all right so so it's it's only it's only half you know required uh, uh sitting, okay all right, individual soul liberty though good thing about it is that we answer to God for what we do. bad thing about it is we answer to God for the things that we do. And many Christians will take that soul liberty and, I mean, fly off the deep end and say, I can do whatever I want to. Paul answered it this way. You know, the question was asked, shall we therefore sin that grace may abound? And Paul used that wonderful phrase, may ginomai, which is a double negative that was is translated in our New Testament as uh, God forbid, all right? But the actual translation is more along the lines of may it never not be, all right? And so he used the strongest language that he could with God forbid. Absolutely not. And so our, our individual soul liberty is never a license to sin, alright? Save baptized church membership. I think that's pretty explanatory there. And by the way, those are two separate things. They don't both go together. Baptism doesn't save you. Salvation happens and then baptism. Two offices. What are the two biblical offices? We have lots more. We have a secretary. We have, de- have uh, finance committee members of trustees. What are they? Deacon, Deacon and pastor. All right, those two. And then separation. And we often say separation of church and state, but the Bible teaches separation from the world. The Bible teaches separation from believers who are doing wrong. And so you got got a lot of things there. All right, I just threw that slide in because I already had that one made, you know, for the teenagers. I quiz them on that every week. So let's go back. If you'd go back with me to First Peter chapter number 2, and we will look at this idea. We're going to give our, get a um, basis for so uh, for um, Priesthood of the believer. All right. First Peter chapter two. Look with me in verse number five. Ye also, by the way, jump back with me to First Peter chapter one and let's let's figure out who's who Peter's writing to, okay? Peter, an apostle, I'm in chapter one, verse number one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Okay, let's put together the pieces. Who's he's writing to? Verse number one, what what description does he give of them? They are what? They are strangers who are scattered, Okay. Uh, anybody know historical uh, significance of that idea that they are scattered? What is going on? Why are they scattered? Persecution. persecution okay, okay. Well, that brings us to the second part, which we see a, a whole bunch of in verse number two. What are they first of all? What's it say? Their, their description of them? We know they're, that they're people who are scattered from their homelands or scattered from where they grew up, okay? And because it's because of persecution. If it's because of persecution, why is someone persecuted? Because of what? Because of their beliefs, all right? So now we get to verse number two, and it gives us a description of it. They are what? Number one, first word, elect. Okay, what is elect? They're elect according to the what? Foreknowledge of God, okay? Who does election deal with? Saved, unsaved? There's only one correct answer. Who does election deal with? Saved people, okay? What is the Bible word that scares us that deals with, that, that only, I'm sorry, let me rephrase, rephrase that election is based on the foreknowledge of God. Election deals with everyone. Okay? Now, we say, "Wait a minute. You mean God didn't elect me? No, God God and it says right here in the verse, God elected you based on his foreknowledge of what? Of the choices that you're going to do, okay? Our God's big enough. Listen, Calvinists believe that God's not big enough to that he can't control if he can't control things then it obviously can't. Our God's big enough. He knows what you're going to do, and He's elected you based on that. Okay, Then the other word that deals with only Christians is pre-something. What? Predestination. You only find that where it says that we are predestined to bring glory to God, we're predestined to do that. That only de- only deals with Christians, okay? Election is everybody, but again, you have a choice in that. And so anybody, you bring them to this verse right here, okay? Because if they say, oh, well, with election, you know, that, that means God chose... No, it says election according to the foreknowledge of God. Okay, it's in the Bible. That's the way that, that God works, all right? So he's writing to what would we call people in modern day. Would we call them what? If they're elect... And we know that the middle of the end of the verse, they're sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. So what would we call them? They're what? Christians. Christians. Okay. So he's writing to Christians. All right. So that picks us up in verse back to First ver- uh, Peter chapter two, verse number five. Ye also, as lively stones, or living stones, or active stones, is the idea there. You are a stone, a building block in God's kingdom. All right. You're built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. There we go. We got that word again. You are a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Then jump down to verse number nine. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal what? priesthood okay a holy nation a peculiar people that you should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light we'll come back to these verses in a few minutes all right but this is the idea that we were just looking at with uh baptist distinctives about the priesthood of the believer now if you would do me a favor and if you would jump back with me to the old testament all right we're going to look at the because the priesthood was established in the old testament all right first of all a mediator was needed what's a mediator A go-between, okay? Go Where was mediation first needed? Anybody know in the Bible? What Genesis chapter 3, verse number one. But without looking, anybody know what, what the first mediation, why it was needed and what it was? I will I'll give you a hint. It was needed as soon as sin showed up. So who would that have involved? No, not before Cain and Abel. Adam and Eve, okay? And what was the first act of mediation? They hid themselves. They made themselves uh, uh, clothes of fig leaves. God, said, God walks with them in the cool of the evening. They can't find him. He said, Adam, where art thou? I hid myself. Why'd you hide yourself? I knew I was naked. Who told you you were naked? And then we get into all of the sin, and God has to do something to mediate and clothe them. What did he do? He killed an animal, he, and we don't know what animal was. Everybody, well, there was an animal. There were only two of, and it's, I, I, I can't tell you answers all that. But the Bible says in uh, Genesis 3.21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. There's only one way that I know to make a coat out of skin, all right? That's to get rid of the guts. That means the animal's dead, all right? It's not, if it doesn't have the skin, it's not held together very well. And so from the very beginning of sin, there was a mediator needed. They tried to clothe themselves in uh, fig leaves, and God said that's not acceptable. So then we jump forward to the Old Testament priests and their job description. Go with me to the book of Leviticus, if you would. Leviticus, and we're not going to read. We'd have to read uh, like the first seven chapters to get all of it. So we're not going to do all that tonight. All right. But I want you to see some things. Um, what did Job? Here are some thoughts that you may be able to help me with. What did Job do every day? Every day, because he was the Bible says that he was a man who eschewed evil. What What did he do every day to worship God? He prayed. What else did he do? He said he did something for his kids every day also. What did he do? Offered up sacrifices. When was Job written? Anybody know where Job was in the timetable of history? It's probably the first book written, okay? So he's, he's way before uh, uh, Moses and uh, Abraham. Abraham offered sacrifices all the time too as the, as the beginning. But once we get, when you look at Leviticus, God lays down how the sacrifices happen, all right? And the Jews, as we get later on to, you get into uh, Samuel and Hannah and stuff like that, what do the Jews have to do every year? They had, well, they, but where did they go to give sacrifices? They had to go to Jerusalem. Pick up with this, if you would, Leviticus chapter number one. All right, and Lord God called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation. Speak to the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. And if you go down to chapter two and three and four and five and six and seven, it's going to tell you all about different kinds of sacrifices uh, of uh, you can bring. In some cases, like in verse number um, uh, one of chapter two, it, when any will offer a meat offering. Chapter number three, and if oblation be a sacrifice of a peace. Peace offering. It, then it says that it's going to uh, be an animal. There, you go down chapter number four, and you've got a non-sweet savor offering, and it uh, you've got so. And then you get to chapter five and six, you got different kinds of offerings, and with all these, some a lot of them are animals, but some of them are grains that you can bring to God, and so there's all kinds. But I want you to pick up this in verse number. Um, uh, 2. Of, I'm back in Leviticus chapter 1. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, if any man of you bring an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the cattle, okay? And verse number 3, if his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. By the way, does anybody know why it was called a burnt sacrifice? If you go back to chapters 5, 6, and 7, you'll find this out. Does anybody know what, what a burnt, why it was called a burnt sacrifice? It burned all night. They lit it on fire all night. In the morning, the priest would have to put a brand new set of clothes on. He'd go in. He'd pick up the ashes. Once he got all the ashes put together, he'd have to go change his clothes again. Then he'd take the ashes and take them to the altar. Just It's just amazing as you look through this. Wait a minute. Why was it? Look, because it was toasted, man, after it burned all night, all right? I mean, if you, if you like... Um, well done meat. You know, you're only, you're only part way there, all right? You still got to burn all night if you, if you want a burnt, uh, burnt sacrifice. But just, it's interesting to see the way that God laid all these things out. But look with me in verse number four. And he, that's the person who's bringing the sacrifice, shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him, and he shall kill the bullock before the Lord. Okay, time up. It's all done. The cow is dead. He has killed it. Without what, there is no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, okay? We do have a God who sin signifies, or the the penalty for sin is death. And for that, so for God to overlook, and listen, that's what all the Old Testament was. It was God allowing sin to be covered, but not taken away. Sin was taken away when Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. But in order for the sin to be covered, There had to be blood for it. And look what it says in verse number five. He, the sacrificer, shall kill the bullet before the Lord, and the priest, Aaron's son, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that's by the congregation. Uh, And he shall flay the the burnt offering, cut into pieces. So that means you cut it, the the person bring the sacrifice, they would would kill it, then Aaron and his sons would come and get the blood. Then the sacrificer would flay it all up, cut it into pieces to put on, verse number seven. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order. And the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat in order upon the wood. And we've got all this right here. And the priests and the priests, and if you get on to chapter number two, you're gonna find the same thing. You've got a, a meat offering, a fly, fine flour, in verse number one of Leviticus chapter two. You've got oil upon it. you got frankincense upon it, verse number two. And he shall bring it to Aaron. And sons the priest, and he shall take thereof his handful of the flour thereof, and of the oil thereof, with all the frankincense thereof, and the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar. And so the the Israelite could only get things prepped up. They had to have the priest to finish the offering. That's why I bring up that Abraham offered these sacrifices, that Job offered these sacrifices. That was before God instituted everything that went on here in Leviticus. The the average Israelite, they had to have the priest to finish off the offerings. They had to go for them. In other words, they could not in and of themselves finish the blood portion of the sacrifice for God to cover their sins. Saul offered because he was not the prophet. He could not do it. And so understand that when you and I look at we oftentimes think, well, those priests, they were just like pastors. No, they were essential for the Israelite people to be able to finish off the sacrifices, for the blood to be taken. It tells in, their, in all the chapters they would take it and seven times they would sprinkle that blood upon the altar. It was a bloody sacrifice. The priests were, I mean, they changed their garments all the time because they were nasty from the processes that were involved, but they were required. The job description of the priests that they had. Then you go to Hebrews chapter 10 if you flip your Bible over to the New Testament for me. Hebrews chapter 10 and we'll spend the rest of, the, uh, of our time in Hebrews and First and Second Peter. i got to remember I'm not with the teenagers and I can let y'all out on time, can't I? I don't have to preach till 8.30 with y'all. I'll try, to, I'll try to remember that. All right, Hebrews chapter number 10. Look down with me in verse number 19 if you would. The Bible says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now wait a minute. Out of memory. What happened? What, what was the holiest? You had the tabernacle split into two pieces, holy of, or the holy place and the holy of holies. What happened in the holy place? What was inside that portion of the tabernacle? Anybody know? The holy place. That was the interior that the priest would go in all the time. That's where the candlestick wear, where it was. It was uh, all lined with the fabric. There was gold everywhere. It's, uh, the censers were there. The sh- table of showbread was in there. You had all of that stuff in there, okay? Then you had uh, a, a, a about a foot-thick veil that was back at the Holy of Holies. What was in the Holy of Holies? The Ark of the Covenant, okay? How often did the priest go into the front section, the holy place? How often did he go in there? Daily, okay? What about the Holy of Holies on the backside? One time a year. And before he went in, what happened? They did something to him. They got him ceremoniously ready by getting all of his clothes on, and there were two essential pieces of his garments. What were they? Does anybody know? Besides all of the standard uniform, what were the two essential pieces that he put on specifically for the... um, one of them specifically for the going into the Holy of Holies. The, uh, what? A rope around around him. And what was the other one? That, so that people knew what? That he had the, the pomegranates and the bells all around the bottom. And he had those every day. You heard those. But that was so that if he, if he uh, went in with sin, that if he dropped dead, they could he, they, no more bells there, that meant bad news. All right? And so when, when they were done, they would, they would pull him out. Now, so you've got the holy priest would go in one time. Into this holy of holy place at per year. But notice what this says back in, if you're still in Hebrews chapter 10. Having therefore, brethren, uh, boldness to enter into the catch this, what's it say? The holy Back. Roll back to English. We have comparative. You have holy, holy er, and holy ist. Which place do you and I have boldness to enter into? the holiest, comparative to the holy of holies is what he's saying, that the priest, the high priest only could go into once a year. And you and I, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, have permission anytime we want to, to march in like we personally know God, because we personally know God. Hebrews chapter number 10. Having therefore, brethren, boldness entered in the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. And so now we've got an, a, a picture of the Old Testament priesthood and the fact that Jesus Christ came as the perfect high priest to fulfill that which the Old Testament high priest could not. Now, then we've got the believer priests, and that is you and I. The privileges we have. If you've got your Bible there, open up to, you're already in Hebrews chapter number 10. Jump back with me to verse number 10, if you would. Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to pick up in verse number 10. And the Bible says, By the which will we are sanctified. What is the word sanctified? mean? Set apart for a purpose, all right? We are are sanctified, we're set apart for a purpose through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. How often did the sacrifice have to be made in the Old Testament? At least once a year, but on a regular basis for every time you sinned and stuff like that. How many times do we have to offer sacrifice? Zero, because Jesus Christ did it once for all. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 10, okay? verse number 11 and every priest standeth daily oh wait a minute according to first peter who are the priests that stand and minister daily but you are a chosen generation a royal so who are the priests that stand you and I, as Christians, we are the priests. Verse number 11. Every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for the sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting till those enemies be made footstool. Nothing was ever going to have to happen. And you go back to the Roman, Roman, book of Romans, and it tells us that the world is going to, be, people are going to bow at his feet, all right? He, and Jesus is there. He's done. Why did he sit down? When did, okay, i Let's back up. We said the bells and pomegranates around the bottom. Why were the bells and pomegranates there? They were so people knew that the priest was doing what? He was moving. When did the bells and pomegranates quit every day? When he took the garments off and went home and it was time to rest. Okay, now, think about this. Jesus Christ is doing what at the right hand of God? Sitting. Now, wait a minute. The Old Testament priest the whole time he was in the holy place with the candlesticks and the showbread and everything else, he was moving the entire di- time. You will find there were no chairs in there for sitting down and resting because the work was never done. But Jesus Christ sits down. It is finished. The word's upon the cross there. It doesn't ever have to be done again. He's able to sit and wait for you and I for God's timetable to finish off. You pick back up with me verse number um, uh, 14, "For by one offering He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also was a witness to us, for after that he had said this, he, he had said before, "This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them." Old Testament, they, where were the laws in the Old Testament? Scrolls, Word of God. Where do we have the laws of God according to verse number 16? And I will write, put my laws in their hearts and in their minds will I write them. Listen, we have the privilege of the very Word of God. Are you allowing Him to write it upon your heart? Are you allowing Him to write it on your mind? My mind is not what it was 20 years ago. Things that I, when I was a kid, I had a memory nothing like Pastor Williams. His, his, he is amazing. But I could read a verse two times and I could quote it to you, and I could just keep my uh, youth workers busy all day long quoting verses. Now it takes me literally. If I want it to stick, I got to keep on it for a couple of weeks every day. It's just my mind. But am I imprinting God's word upon my heart and upon my mind? And that ought to be something that we're working at every day because he said that he will do it. Pick up with me in verse 17. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Listen, that doesn't mean they're covered. That means they're gone. Old Testament versus New Testament. Old Testament covered, New Testament gone. 18. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. What does remission mean? If I go into remission for cancer, What does that mean for the cancer? For that time frame, it is what? It's gone. Doesn't mean that it can't spark, that another thing can't spark up. But this here says, where there's remission of these, that's talking about the sins back in verse number 17. There is no more offering for sin. There's no sin, so I don't have to offer for it. Jesus Christ has done it once for all. No more offering need to be made. Verse number 19. Having therefore, based on all of this and the sacrifice of Christ, brethren, boldness enter in the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us. Through the veil, that's to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast. The profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful at promise. Let us consider one another to provoke, to love, and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. All of that, our plea for living a Christian life, is based on the fact that our sin is gone and we don't have to offer every day. You don't have to spend that time doing it. So serve God with your life instead of cutting animals apart. We don't have to do it. The privilege that we had that Old Testament believers had no idea of. So let me very quickly tonight point out a couple of biblical responsibilities that we have. The Bible specifically says about uh, us as believers. Number one, a sacrifice of prayer. Take your Bible and flip back just a couple pages to Hebrews chapter 4. Verse number 15 and 16. For we have not a high priest... Which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. So, if we cancel out the two knots there, what is Paul saying about Jesus Christ? He is accessible. He is touched by our infirmities. That's why we have prayer time. Our failings, spiritual needs, that's a failing. That's, an, that's a spiritual infirmity. Physical problems. He is touched by those. He wants us to bring them to him. Back to the verse. But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And again, he's touched by the infirmities. When he lived on this earth, he had to go through many of them. You find Jesus wept. Jesus thirsted. Jesus hungered. You find he was weary. You find all these things. He was touched. And yet, he ne- never did any of those circumstances. You know, you and I... We get tired and sometimes we get angry at people around us. You know, we get hungry and we get hangry, you know, where we're, we're going to say, I just want some food. I don't care where just give me some food, you know. We get thirsty the same way. You know, we get all of those things happen to us. We get sad and we can get mean. Jesus Christ dealt with all of those, and yet the Bible tells us here, yet without sin. He knows everything we're going to, and he did it without sin because he is God. So, based on that fact, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How come I can? Because he knows exactly what we're dealing with. He knows the difficulties. And so he wants to help us in those difficult times. So we've got a in pre- verse number 16 says, uh, uh, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain fi- grace and find-, and find grace to help in time of need. Talking again about the sacrifice that we need to make a prayer. Let us come boldly unto it. Hey, do this. All right, as a, as a uh, New Testament priest, a believer Come to Jesus Christ. Lay your, lay your things at his feet. He knows all the problems and he wants to help you with them. Second one, sacrifice of service. First Peter chapter two, five and nine. We looked at those verses earlier, okay? But if you'll take your Bible back over there, Mark uh, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 13 in just a moment. But back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 and verse 9. Notice what it says. It says, You also as lively stones. I'm in 1 Peter 2, two 5 build up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. And then what does it say the purpose of that holy priesthood is? To do what? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. What is a spiritual sacrifice? It's an action. It's something that we do. Go down to verse number nine. You are a chosen generation. Here we got again, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How do we show forth his praises? By our actions, the things that we do, so that people can see what they are. So we've got a sacrifice of prayer. We've got a sacrifice of service. And then the last thing, Hebrews chapter 13, we've got a sacrifice of praise. Hebrews chapter 13, if you look down with me, verse number 15 again. By him, again, it's all, every time we've done this, therefore, you know, um, having therefore brethren, everything's pointed back at Jesus Christ because of what he did when he paid the price once and for all on the cross of Calvary. By him, therefore, verse number, uh, I mean, Hebrews 13, 15, by him, therefore, let us offer up the, or offer the sacrifice of what? Praise to God. What's the next word? Continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. Again, that goes back to that sacrifice of service. For with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. And so we've got these sacrifices all through that we are offering. Now, we go back to the Old Testament priest. Offered sacrifices all day long. Question for us. How often do we offer the sacrifices of prayer, the sacrifice of service, the sacrifice of praise to our God? If we're going to follow the pattern that was established in the Old Testament, it's something that happens all day long. Not just, I did my devotions and spent 30 minutes this morning and now I'm done for the day. I got that checked off, all right? It's something that happens continually. Got just a couple things. Let me go very quickly through these and we'll get out of your practical responsibilities. Number one, Leviticus chapter, chapter 8. If you go back with me to Leviticus I just want you to see some responsibility. We've got those those three areas of, of uh, sacrifice to God. But back in Leviticus, um, I want you to see a couple of things that the priest's requirements that were priests. And so I think that we can very easily remember that these are something that we have to do. So Leviticus chapter, chapter 8. Pick up with me in uh, verse number one, all right? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and a bullock for the sin offering, and two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread, and gather thou all the congregation together unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly was gathered together unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Moses said unto the congregation, This is the thing which the Lord commanded to be done. And he put upon him the high priest the coat and girded him with the girdle and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod upon him and girded him with the curious girdle of the ephod and bound it unto him therewith and he put the breastplate upon him also and he put in the breastplate the urim and the thummim and he put upon the mitre and he put the mitre upon his head and also upon the mitre even upon his forefront did he put the golden plate the holy crown as the Lord commanded Moses and so you've got on and on again he goes through and he uh, is. Is putting things across. What is he doing? He's preparing him. He's putting on all the garments that say, you know what, this is the high priest. And he puts on the head and he puts it around the body and he puts it around the midsection. He it's everywhere. What is this? it's devotion? It said, I've set them apart for a purpose. And once they're dressed like this right here, everything they do, we've already talked about the bells and the pomegranates, everything they did. Don't sit down. You keep moving. You're serving me the whole time. That's devotion. Second thing that we see about these Old Testament, back with Leviticus chapter 4, verse number 3. Understand, they were not perfect. And if the priest that is anointed, that means he's the one that has just gone through the consecration process, he's ready to go. And if the priest that is anointed uh, anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin. Hey, we got to have our sin confessed. We're believer priests. God doesn't expect perfection. He knows us. He knows my mind. He knows my, the thought process. He knows yours too. He knows that we're not perfect. But he tells us 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9, if we what? Our sin. We confess he's faithful and just to forgive our sin. Old Testament, if the, if the priest do sin, then he's the one that's got to offer the sacrifice for himself at that point. Third thing, testimony. Go with me to Leviticus chapter number 10. Here you got an example of a poor testimony. And Nadab and Abihu, I'm in verse number one, the sons of Aaron took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them and they what? Died before the Lord. Listen, Old Testament priests, God said they've got a job to do. And I expect them to toe toe the line. You and I as New Testament believer priests, our testimony is important. So that we will not provide a stumbling block to those around us. And then the fourth thing, usage of our abilities. Go back with me to Leviticus chapter number 9. It came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel... And he said to Aaron, take thee a young calf for a sin offering, a ram for a burnt offering, without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And you go through, and we go through lots of chapters here, usage of their abilities. Hey, you do this as an offering to the Lord. And So priesthood of the believer, a lot of times that whole concept kind of goes across, over our head. But it, what a privilege we have. That we can go directly to God. The Old Testament believers could not do that. They could start the process, but they needed a priest to finish it up for them. You and I, they could do it once a year for the whole country. They went and offered sacrifice as needed, they had to take a long trip, they had to give up some of their wealth. Know, kill a cow or if they, weren't, if they weren't wealthy enough then it was a dove or, or a something smaller or if certain types of sacrifices it was the grain but it took something from them. You and I have the privilege of offering to our God every day, multiple times every day. We don't have to go someplace we can stop where we are we can bow our head, we can bow our knee and just praise Him for who He is. And he says, one of the things I want you to bring me is just praise the fruit of your lips. Bring praise to his name. We can do that everywhere, anywhere. What a privilege we have as a believer priest. And listen, that's exactly who you are. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a priest. God looks at you. Think think about this for just a second. God looks at you. God looks at me the same way he looked at Aaron in the Old Testament. We walk into his presence, and God gives us his attention. He bends his ear to us. What a God we serve. And to think it didn't cost us anything, he paid the price for all of it so that we could have this kind of sweet access to him. What a great God we serve. Can I encourage you, offer to him praise this this, uh, week. Offer to him the sacrifice of service. Be a testimony for your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we've had in your word tonight. This has been an encouragement to me as I have studied it and to see what a great God we serve and all of the difficulty that the Old Testament system was. And I just need to bow my knee, turn my heart to you. You want to write your word upon my mind and upon my heart. You want me to have the very word of God I have, hold a copy in my hand. What a God I serve. Thank you, Father, for your graciousness and your love to us. In your name we pray.